Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, episode 13. to another episode of the Axiom Podcast. It has been three weeks since our last episode, and things have been a little crazy. I've got to admit, I have been super busy. And Fridays, the days when I normally uh, do these podcasts, and I set aside pretty much all of Friday morning to get these done. The last two Friday mornings, uh, one was a holiday, and I had some things going on there. And the other one, we just had some work projects that totally took up the day. And I apologize. It's been uh, been a fun two weeks, certainly not dull. <laughs> We've been um, staying very busy in the middle of the summertime. And, th- and this summer seems a little different than most. The, uh, the lull that normally happens in uh, vacation season seems like it took a vacation this year. We've been really busy, and I'm thankful for that. Today we're going to be talking about candor, and this topic came up, it's something that with the busyness and kind of the convergence of several projects and a time crunch, candor has become a huge part of these last three weeks since we've been on the podcast last time, and I've been working with different groups, different teams, um, some large, some small. We've had to pull in some outside contractors on some projects and candor has become a really important element of our communication with these projects and making sure that things get done. And I heard somebody talking about Ed Catmull's book, um, I think it's Creativity, Inc. And I haven't read it yet, but I heard this person talking about it, and they were talking about Catmull's, um, how he attributes candor within Pixar uh, for a lot of their success. And they were saying, this person was telling me that in the book, uh, Catmull talks about the first time, if the first run through one of their films, or through a Pixar, Pixar film, the film isn't that good. And without candor, they wouldn't get the feedback that they need to go back and make these great, great stories that we've come to expect from Pixar. And that got me thinking about my experience over the last three weeks with these different teams and how candor has really become part and parcel of how we talk with each other, how we communicate, how we email back and forth, how we post project updates on the online tools that we use. And it also got me to think back through some of the best professional relationships that I've had over the years, whether those were with mentors or clients, uh, situations where I was the the uh, client and I had somebody else who's providing services to me and can in all of those really, really what I would call fruitful relationships, productive relationships, candor was one of those things that was always present. So I want to talk about candor today and probably write about it a little bit on the blog because I, I tend to think through projects or think through subjects a little differently when I write about them than when I talk about them. But this was something that I thought when when I'm looking for the things to introduce with clients that make an immediate impact, there's a few things that we pretty much know 
we we kind of, I guess you call it covering the basis. So these are things that we know we'll do in a lot of situations with a lot of different kinds of clients because they're just really value added things. One of those is business process mapping. So going into the business and understanding how all the processes work and making sure everybody there understands how all the pro- processes work. I just did this on Wednesday with one of my clients, a longtime client, and we went back over a process that we mapped out over a year ago. And started looking at it and questioning whether things had changed and whether responsibilities had changed with different people. And the business process flow, flow mapping is one of those things we do with everything, everybody. But this discussion about accountability and candor, well, I'll separate the two. So a discussion about accountability is another thing that we do a lot and getting clients to wrap their head around the difference between abdication and delegation. You can have accountability if you delegate things, but you won't have an environment of accountability if you abdicate things. And we won't, maybe that's a subject for another podcast. So business process mapping, the difference between uh, abdication and delegation as it has to do with accountability. And now this idea of candor as part of your corporate communication culture, how you talk to each other, how you communicate with each other. If you can create that environment, that culture of candor, then it goes a long way to achieving better results. So one of the things I want to do is tell you what candor is not. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot of, and this is all from my perspective. This is just kind of the in the trenches perspective of what candor is and isn't. And I'll tell you, you know, candor is is not being a jerk. A lot of people think candor is just saying what's on your mind and not filtering it, not being considerate of other people's emotions or their their viewpoints or their vested interest. And that's not the case. You can't just go out there and start spouting stuff off and say, oh, well, I'm just trying to be candid and you should just get over it. Candor isn't being a jerk. Candor isn't... Um, it's not short and sweet, although, you know, that's what we think of is, you know, keep it short and sweet, be candid with me. I think the biggest thing that people confuse candor with is tough love. I've seen business owners try to be more candid with their employees and, or their, and not necessarily all employees, but their direct leadership team. And that comes across as, well, you know, this is just, this is just some stuff that you need to hear and you may not want to hear it. And the only time that candor comes up is when they have a problem. They cannot candidly give someone praise. They cannot candidly acknowledge somebody's contribution to the team. But they can certainly, in their mind, you know, candidly deal with performance issues. And candid doesn't have anything to do with the content of what you're talking about. If you, if you have a culture of candor and being candid with your employees – It's how you communicate, not what you communicate. So it should go through everything that you say or do or write or publish or any of that stuff with the group that you're dealing with. And it doesn't just show up when you have problems to deal with. It doesn't just show up when somebody needs to be called out on something. So getting business owners to wrap their head around this idea that candor isn't just for the bad news. It's for everything. It's it's for the stuff that's neither good nor bad. It's just the stuff that people need to be brought up to speed on. If you can do that candidly, you're going to have better communication. So candor in a word I think can be called frankness. But there's a definition that I really like that uh, I was looking at yesterday. 
And that definition is the quality of being open and honest in expression. And that, to me, really captures the essence of what candor is. That definition is probably the most accurate description of what a candid environment looks like. It's an environment where there's this quality of being open and honest in your expression. So one of the things that people a lot of times do not associate with candor is vulnerability. And when you talk about being open and honest with, with when you're expressing something to somebody, that necessarily entails that you're going to be vulnerable with them. And, you know, that vulnerability, that's not their vulnerability. That's your vulnerability. So when you're talking to a business owner and you say, I need you to be more candid with your employees because your communication style is very muddled and they're not getting the message that you need them to get. And we're wasting a lot of time trying to get that message across. So let's try candor. And it requires them to be open and honest and that openness, that honesty is what makes that leader vulnerable. And you have to do that if you're going to be candid. You have to open yourself up for personal attacks. You have to open yourself up for the backlash. You have to open yourself up for people disagreeing with you or taking issue with you. And yeah, possibly sometimes even being offended by you. But you, you know, I, I should back up and say, if you don't have a an environment where there's any trust among the team members, then being candid is going to be a very, very bumpy experience. It's going to be painful uh, because you, you have to trust each other. But candor, I really think that candor can help build trust because one of the greatest things that builds trust among team members is vulnerability. When one team member is willing to step out there on the limb and be vulnerable, then it it gives the other team member an opportunity to trust them because the person who's being vulnerable is essentially saying, hey, I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to trust that you're not going to reach back and beat me over the head with it. And that taking the first step toward trust is what what gives the other person the opportunity to reciprocate. And over time, these interactions go back and forth and people aren't beating each other over the head with the vulnerabilities that they've been given by their counterparts. And sooner or later hopefully sooner rather than later, you have a more trusting environment. So it, it's kind of – it may be seen as a chicken or the egg problem. It's like, well, we don't trust each other so it can't be candid. Well, p- one of the problems that you can't trust each other is that you haven't been candid. So you know, let's, let's kind of attack this and just say, hey, we're going to make an effort to be candid. Now, what I want to talk about is is the practical side of this because it doesn't do anybody good to just say, "Oh, here's a definition on, on candor," and then you know go forth and make a great company. I'll give you two instances where I think candor shows up, and and it does it naturally. And so you can think back through your experience and look at situations that I'm going to describe and go, yeah, okay, so that's what he's talking about. That's the kind of communication that we're supposed to have because a lot of people just don't know what this looks like. There's a TV show. There was a TV show years and years ago called The West Wing, and what I really liked about that show is that it it had these really kind of top A players, about the West Wing and the White House, and and the president was, uh, I think, Martin Sheen, and um, and 
he, you know, you're surrounded by these top aides, and these are the best of the best. These are the people, these are the top people that they could find, whether they're speechwriters or communications analysts or chief of staff or whatnot. But these people are very, very, very competent. And you have this environment where, you know, it's kind of like conflict is encouraged because we need to get all the ideas on the table and make sure that we take the best one off and run with it. And if you watch that show, you can see how this candor um, is kind of part and parcel. It's part of the culture of that environment. And I would imagine that in very high-functioning environments where there's a lot at stake, you naturally have this candor because people are willing to check their egos. They're willing to check their discomfort, and they're willing to say uh, what they need to say with this open and honest expression. And it's not, again, it's not being a jerk. It's not being short and sweet. It's being open and honest about what you're trying to get across. And that that entails some vulnerability because people may disagree with you. People may tell you that you're wrong. People may not use your ideas. People may tell you that you're out of line. But that openness and that honestness of expression is genuine. And if you have that, then the team's going to be better off for it. So back to the two uh, two situations that almost always result in candor. Number one is crisis. If you've ever found yourself in a crisis situation with a team, not not personally, I'm not talking about some kind of personal or existential crisis that you went through and you had to find a way to deal with, but I'm talking about a crisis within your company, a crisis within your organization where everybody in the group was being affected by this crisis and you had to deal with it and there was a tremendous sense of urgency about it. Those types of environments often result in candor because people don't have a choice. When you're under pressure, a lot of times the veneer is stripped off and that openness and that honesty of expression comes out because people don't have time to posture. They don't have time to set themselves up to to you know spin it this way or spin it that way. And two, they a lot of times they don't have time to react. You know, they they don't have all the benefit of all the time they want to gather all the facts, to analyze all the circumstances, to put together all the potential possibilities, to test those, to vet them, and then go out and pick the right, the best one and launch it. What they're stuck with is this huge time constraint with this great amount of external pressure, and they're forced into an environment where they have to say, hey, here's what I know, here's what I think about, what do you think about that? Here's what I know. Here's what we learned just recently. How does that factor into what we said we were going to do? Do we need to change it? Here's what I know. Here's how I feel about it. I don't think that what we knew, you know, two hours ago or two days ago is relevant anymore. We have to change course and do this or do that. And and when I've been in corporate environments where there's been some kind of crisis, it's you know sometimes it's it's a crisis around. Um, you know, revenue numbers. Uh, sometime, one time it was a crisis around accounting figures. We were brought in and found out that things weren't what they seemed and they were people were freaking out because all of a sudden the company went from making money to losing money when we found some accounting irregularities. And it wasn't malicious. It wasn't fraudulent. It was a case where they just did not have good systems in place to track all of their costs. And they had these really long production cycles that would span over two years. 
and cash flow was fine, but their profitability profitability was horrible because in essence they were robbing Peter to pay Paul. The net the job that they were starting was paying for all of the costs of the job that they just finished, and that created this huge crisis. So we didn't have a choice. Um, but to to speak very candidly to one another and to communicate very candidly with our employees and with our suppliers and with our vendors and our subcontractors and our major customers. And we basically had to say, hey, we're in a crisis here. Here's here's what we need you to know, and we're going to be open, we're going to be honest, and believe me, in that situation, there was a tremendous amount of vulnerability. You know, the the company at at one point essentially had to put its hands at the mercy of one of its largest customers and just say, hey, here's where we are. And that experience built an incredible, incredible amount of trust between the client and their major customer. They, because they were vulnerable, because they were open and honest, the customer was able to come back and be open and honest with them and say, hey, we have some real problems with this. And we question whether we really want to do business with companies that don't have a really good handle on what, you know, how their costs are going to be paid. But we appreciate that you guys are bringing all of this to the table and we're going to work with you to get through it. And they not only worked with them to get through it, they took the next step and actually expanded the business they did with them the next year. So crises can come all kinds of ways. We've had other situations where the death of a key employee created a crisis in the company. We've had uh, situations just recently where the death of the owner created a crisis in the company. And we had key managers, we had um, attorneys, we had the, the, the uh, heir to the business, all trying to figure out what comes next, and it required a lot of candid conversation. And, you know, what's interesting about, about this um, crisis, these crisis scenarios is that they, they allow you a great opportunity to be candid with people that you may have zero relationship with. Uh, for, so when I was brought into, uh, you know, these situations, a lot of these people got my name from a friend or a colleague that had done business with us before – but they didn't know me. They had no idea who I was. They just heard, this is a person you might want to call because they can help you. And when we came in, because they were in a crisis and because we didn't have a whole lot of time to waste, it allowed me to be open and honest in a way that I couldn't be with a prospect who wasn't going through any kind of crisis whatsoever. It, it, there's, there are, the great thing about a crisis is that it strips away all of the fluff and the window dressing that's expected in formal business relationships. And you don't have to spend a whole lot of time getting to know each other. There's not a whole lot of etiquette around, well, when can we talk about this or when can we talk about that or when is it appropriate to breach this subject as opposed to that subject. When you're in a crisis, you have to talk about all of this stuff very, very quickly. And it, you know, it's kind of like if you go to the doctor and you're diagnosed with uh, a major terminal illness, you know, the doctor is not going to beat around the bush and ask about your kids and, and, you know, where you went on vacation last year and that kind of stuff. If you need to get into radiation that afternoon, he's going to tell you you need to be in radiation that afternoon and he's going to tell you quickly. So crisis is one of those areas that I think people, I get it. I mean, nobody likes to be in crisis mode. We're all running around like chickens with our heads cut off, and we all want to get through it just as quickly as we can. But 
there's real value in stopping when you get the chance to take a breath. And, and there, those opportunities are there. You can, no matter what the crisis, um, very few of them run 24-7, 365 with never a break, never an opportunity to step back. So just, you know, maybe remember this the next time you're going through a crisis to step back and think about, Am I using every opportunity that's being afforded me to use this as a stepping stone to building more candor in the organization? Can we get that kind of candid cultural environment that that I want to have on a day-to-day basis when we don't have the pressure of a crisis? Because when you don't have the pressure of a crisis and you have an environment where you can be candid with one another, it opens up the drawers, doors to extraordinary creativity because and it's not groupthink but it's the ability of everybody to bring their best ideas to the table and to have that um that uh, you know being okay with being vulnerable in front of the group and when you can do that without the time constraints of a crisis it really gives you the opportunity to do different things, to think differently, to build differently, to approach problems from a different viewpoint. And that's where you see big breakthroughs come in companies with either product development or service development or market development. It's these where these big leaps are made is, w- is where you're able to get the most creative minds around the problem and come up with a really good idea. And the business owner typically, you know, I, I don't know of a ton of situations where Six or seven people in in my world of small business consulting companies typically under twenty million dollars. I don't know of a lot of cases where you know five or six people have come up with the next best mousetrap. But what d- does typically happen is there's one company in the organ or there's one person in the company, and it could be the owner. A lot of times the owner has this initiative, but it could be somebody else. But there's one person in the company that. As a result of the candid feedback they're getting from their colleagues, they're able to build this next best thing. And the, the creativity of the individual, that, that ability to be daring and, and to come up with a new idea. Uh, you know, a lot of people in companies don't like to take risks. They don't want to be the one to, to put, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal out there because they're afraid it's going to get shot down. But there's going to be one or two people in the company that, that have that kind of genetic entrepreneurial makeup. And if they can get candid feedback from their colleagues, that's the fuel that they need to drive these creative ideas, to take them to the next level. Sometimes it's the stimulus they need. Hearing candidly about a problem in a company is often the catalyst for developing a solution that takes the company to the next level. But if they don't get that candid feedback, it's like a person who's just eating junk food all the time. They never really reach their full athletic potential because they're feeding themselves junk. Well, these highly creative individuals inside organizations, the ones that are willing to take risks, the food, the fuel that they need is the candid feedback from their their colleagues so that they can use that to develop the next best thing. So in a crisis, if you can step back and say, what are we learning about how we communicate with each other? And is there the opportunity to keep this going? Uh, sometimes it's something as simple as a system that you started during the crisis. I recommend in a lot of companies that 
that I'm brought into if there's some kind of crisis as, as the reason we're brought together. Um, it's very important for me to be brought up to speed quickly. And you've heard me advocate for the daily huddle, and it has nothing to do with crisis. But in a crisis, because you have a limited amount of time and everybody's going off and doing different things during the day, and it's you know very, very kind of disorganized and hectic because you're reacting to events, one of the things that I suggest is that we set aside a time uh, every single day to everybody get on the phone at the same time and just check in and let everybody else know what's going on in their world. And when when you're in, a, I've had companies come out of a crisis and go, "Hey, you know that that daily huddle thing that we were doing to deal with the the financial mess that we were in. Hey, can we just keep doing that because that." We kind of really like that. We miss that now that now that this whole thing has blown over and been handled, and we're back on solid ground. Uh, we, but we're still not on the same page every day. So sometimes it's something as simple as a system that you're able to recognize when you're in crisis mode that helped you be more candid with each other, and you take that system and just port it over to the day to day operation of the business. Sometimes it's uh, relationships that really jump to the next level as part of that crisis. And it allows people to communicate more effectively. I've seen teams, I've seen situations where uh, one part of the company has lost a key employee and everybody had to help pitch in and help that department overcome the short-term loss of that person. And And in one case, it was, I mean, it was a big, big deal. I mean, we didn't know if the company was going to survive coming out of this thing. And there were two team members who they weren't, they didn't have a lot of animosity toward each other, but it was just kind of like, hey, that's your department, that's my department, and we're going to leave it at that. But through this crisis, they had to both chip in to help this third department. It was a financial function. They had to both chip in and take over some of the reporting responsibilities. And something as simple as the two of them having to sit down through a training on the report writing process and how to get information out of the system that the company needed gave them an opportunity to spend six hours together. And those six hours became the foundation for a much, much better relationship. And they, they were able to say a couple of years later, you know, we're looking back. If we hadn't gone through that crazy time, we would not be starting this new branch that we are both opening what they Basically, the two of them were responsible for moving into a new territory. One was uh, sales and one was IT. And the two of them saw this opportunity to go out and open a new branch using some technology that had been developed over the last couple of years so that they could set up branch satellites wherever they wanted to. And that allowed the two of them to say, hey, we see an opportunity in this market. We're going to work together and go exploit it. Or before... One of them might have said, hey, I see this opportunity over here, but I need John to help me out with it. And John's, you know, he just runs his department. I run my department, so I guess we're not going to move over there. So there are lots and lots and lots of things to be learned through a crisis that can pay dividends way down the road. Um, Sometimes you'll recognize those as you're going through the crisis. Other times you're going to need somebody like me saying, hey, pull back, step back here. Um, We got two hours that we don't have to do anything else. Tell me everything you've learned by this craziness that we've been going through. What have you learned about your communication style? What have you learned about your relationships? Are people being more vulnerable? Are other people taking advantage of that or are they respecting 
the vulnerability of their peers and looking out for them and taking care of them. And you can start to glean a lot of stuff in moments of crisis. So that crisis is the number, probably the number one area where you see candor show up just as a matter of course, because people don't have any other choice. They have to be candid in a crisis. Otherwise they'll never get through it. The second area where you often see candor is in organizations that have built some kind of expectation and we're not making it. And that's usually we're not making a plan. So for instance, if a company has a budget and they're missing the budget, that leads to some very candid conversations. If a company has, uh, if companies opening a new facility and they have expectations about when that facility is going to open and they start to miss those expectations, that leads to very candid conversations. So if crisis is the number one area where candor shows up uh, kind of organically or spontaneously, I would say missed expectation is the other area where candor is very likely to show up organically. And you don't have to do a lot to build candor into these conversations. They just happen because all of a sudden we were supposed to do X and it didn't happen. Everybody was expecting X to happen. Everybody had worked really hard for X to happen and X didn't happen. And we have to be open and honest about why that. I'm certainly going to be open and honest asking you why it didn't happen. I want you to be open and honest telling me why you, why you think it didn't happen. So when, now we're, talk, we're not talking about um, just noticing candor when it shows up. We're talking about building an organization that has candor. And so in the, in the crisis context, you know, you could say if you if you wanted to, you could say, well, you know, one way to build crisis into our culture or to build candor into our culture is to always have a crisis, and that's not a good idea. Your people will get burned out, and pretty soon people will start leaving for other opportunities. You know, crisis companies that always operate in crisis are not typically well managed companies. Everybody's going to go through crisis at one time or another, and everybody's going to go through repeated crises over the course of their existence. But if you're just moving from one to the next to the next to the next to the next, you know, you got some other issues that you need to look at. So we wouldn't advocate that if you're trying to build a culture of candor that you just want to create crisis after crisis. What, we, what we're saying is when you – unfortunately, when you have to deal with these crisis scenarios, understand what's happening and the, the tone and the openness and the honesty of your communication – and try to translate that, make that a, a part of your daily you know, existence as a company. But when we're talking about this second area of missed expectations, creating candid conversations, as a matter of course, they just naturally lead into these candid conversations. That is something that you can very much, and this is my whole world, you know, what I what I try to get companies to do is build a culture of expectation. That's what planning is about. When you plan, you're saying, we expect X to happen. Here are the things that we're going to do to make sure that X happens. And everybody's going to be working really hard to make sure X happens. That's the culture that we build when we do strategic planning and execution with companies. So what happens then, once you've done the planning, is that you have an expectation that that plan is going to work out the way you put it together. And everybody's sitting on pins and needles. You know, they, they go in and they work and they work and they work. And every week they get together and they want to know, 
did we hit the plan? Are we on course? And if we're not, why? And that that question has a totally different meaning in the court in the context of a company who's put together a plan and has an expectation than it does a company that doesn't have a plan and just gets surprised by something. And you know, crisis. Not every surprise rises to the level of a crisis, but what can happen is, uh, you know, business owner is getting ready to make payroll and it's going to draw the cash dangerously short. And he goes, well, why are we so short on cash? And they go, well, we didn't exactly hit our sales goal this month. Why didn't we hit our sales goal this month? And, you know, they're, they're in that reactionary mode. It doesn't quite rise to the level of crisis, but, you know, they're asking one or two candid questions because they're surprised by something. That's different from a culture that says our sales level is expected to be at X, and we're going to measure that every single day or every single week. And when we miss that, when our expectation isn't met, we want to know why. And the, the reason that that's a much better environment to operate in is because as soon as you miss the sales level, you start to anticipate what's going to happen to cash. And we have an expectation for where cash balance is going to be. And that expectation is met if we miss sales. We back up down the line and we go, okay, so what do we have to do to make the sales number work? And we have candid conversations about that instead of candid conversations about cash. One is is very productive because it, it allows us to actually take action and do some things. The other is very reactive and that it's pretty much too late for us to do anything today that's going to affect our cash balance in the short term when we need it to make payroll. So Building a culture around planning is definitely one of those things that fosters candid conversations. Now, I'll tell you that it's not as easy as those crisis situations because the thing that's missing is urgency. So when you're trying to – let me back up. So just because you built an organization that has a planning discipline, meaning they they go through and they set goals and they measure the key performance uh, or key predictive indicators that are going to achieve that level of of result, and they're they're um, disciplined and conscientious about measuring and all of that stuff. Just because you've done that doesn't mean that you're going to get to that level where you have candid conversations. Because I've sat in organizations that had all of that and they had the expectation and it was missed and the candid conversations didn't happen. And so I look back on those situations and I go, why, why is it that we did all the, all the things right to build the planning discipline, to be realistic about what we hope to achieve, to look at all the projects that are going to be necessary to make that happen, to assign the right people, to hold them accountable, to really push, to make the, the results that we had targeted. And we're still kind of pussyfooting around the, com- the conversation in the boardroom. People aren't really owning things. People aren't really asking tough questions or people are asking questions and then letting their colleagues get off with these pat answers that don't really tell us anything. Why is it that we're not able to achieve this candor that I see in these other companies and it comes down to urgency? And we go back to what is it about a crisis that really 
helps create candor and candid conversations in companies. And it's the urgency of the moment. We don't have time to waste. There are things more important that we have to get to. And if we don't get through this, if we're not open and honest and communicate with each other more effectively, we're going to run out of time. So we go back to those environments where they've done all the right planning work, but what are they missing? They're missing a sense of urgency. So the question then for us as the, as the group trying to help them build these companies is how do we add urgency to the planning process? How do we add urgency to this expectation so that people react in this candid way instead of just kind of sitting back and going, ah, we missed the number, maybe we'll be able to make it up, blah, 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 blah. And this is where it gets – it maybe gets a little airy-fairy. This is the part of the process that some people are going to have a hard time with. But it's also the part of the process that a lot of companies skip over. And it's not until we start to lack this sense of urgency that I'm able to get them to go back and work on this first fundamental principle. And it's this. If your people don't believe in what you're trying to do, then there will never be any urgency around it. In a crisis, a lot of times the urgency doesn't have anything to do with the company. It has to do with, am I going to lose my job? <laughs> Everybody's worried about that. If the crisis is dealing with a major customer, they're worried about the sales they're going to lose from that customer and its longstanding financial impact on the company and whether they're going to have to be layoffs or not. If the crisis is caused because um, you know they, they terminated an employee and didn't do it in, an, in the right way, the, the fear is that I'm going to lose my job because I didn't dot my I's and cross my T's. And, and now you know, I've, I've got this great sense of urgency because I want to keep my job. And that's, I mean, that's that's human nature. We're not going to change that about a crisis. That's the crisis. You know, the people at the top of the organization typically are acting to save the organization, not save their own skin. But you can't expect everybody to act that way because a lot of, you know, in most big companies, there are a lot of people who are just there for a paycheck. That's obviously not our goal for the leadership team. We want them to be acting in the best interest of the company. But the fact of the matter is, in a lot of crisis situations. People, yeah, they want the best for the company, but they also really need their paycheck, and they're scared to death they're going to lose their job. So they they have these candid conversations because there's this tremendous sense of urgency around keeping their job. When when you get into non-crisis situations, the only thing that creates a sense of urgency is a sense of mission. Is this something that we as individuals really believe is important? Do we believe that what this company is trying to achieve is going to make a difference in the world? If you want to get really sappy, you have to get to the point where you say, am I called to be doing this for this company? Because if I have a calling to do it, then my very waking up in the morning is contingent on me being able to go out there and do this. The reason that I wake up is so that I can go do this. Now that that sounds crazy. I know for some people like, oh, you know, I just want to I just want to get better at my job. If you look at some of the best run companies in the world, if you go out there and look at the small businesses in your community that are just knocking out of the park, there's more than one person 
the owner. There's more than the owner wakes up every morning excited about what that company is going to do for the day. There are people who get out of bed, who get out of bed tremendously excited about what they're going to be able to accomplish. And these companies are highly mission-driven. So if you want candid conversations, the company has to be led toward an extraordinary vision. The company has to be led toward something that people can aspire to. And this is why Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, has had such great resonance in the business community is because it, got, it reaches back to this idea of if we're going to, to really have an impact, we have to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Why does this company exist? Does it just exist to put a bottom line number on a profit and loss statement or does it exist to change something about the world? Does it exist to have an impact in our community? Does it exist to have to, to change the way business is done or to change people's lives or to change a market or to redefine a product or redefine a service industry? What your employees really want in a sense of urgency is the reason to get out of bed in the morning. And if they're driven to get to the office, to get to the, the business – and to make things happen, when they miss an expectation, they want to know why. And they will ask tough questions because it's important to them. It's as important to them as keeping their job. Because if you're in one of those situations where you're called to do this, if you can't do it, you might as well go find something else to do. It's that important to you. I'm here to do this. If you're telling me we're not going to be able to because this person or that person isn't going to pull their end of the, of the bargain, then I'm, I may go find somewhere else. So candid conversations, I mean, there's, we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about trust. We've talked about um, urgency. We've talked about you know, crisis and lessons you can learn from crisis. But the number one thing that, that I think – business owners need to understand is you can have these moments of kind of episodic candor where because of the crisis you're in or because you really, you know, like it could be as simple as, you know, we have candor four times a year, you know, when we're going to, we're about ready to figure out whether we're going to hit our, our quarterly bonus numbers, you know, all of a sudden people get real and it's like, Hey, this is going to make a difference in my paycheck. Why didn't we hit this number? Or what do we have to do to hit this number? Or how, how are we going to make this up in the last two weeks or, you know, whatever it is. And you can have these moments of episodic candor and, a lot of business owners will pat themselves on the back and go, wow, you know, I'm really proud of the way our team reacted to this crisis or, wow, I'm really proud that we put up these numbers for the quarter and we're able to pay everybody's bonuses out. But if you want to reach for something higher, if you want that candor on a day-to-day basis, if you want it at the Pixar level uh, where we started talking about this book by Ed Catmull, if you want it at that level to the, ex- to the extent that everything you produce – People expect to be extraordinary. And somebody like Catmull says, well, we're only able to do that because we're able to, have can- able to have candid conversations with one another. If that's what you're trying to achieve is a culture where people can be open and honest in their expression with one another, you have to, as the leader, you have to give them the sense of urgency in your mission and your vision for that company. 
you have to give them something that they can really put their faith in. You have to give them something that they're going to aspire to. You have to give them something that that is worthy of their full and complete attention, that's worthy of them stepping out of their comfort zone and being open and vulnerable with their colleagues to have these kinds of conversations. And if you haven't done that, if you, if you can't articulate your vision and your mission, if you're not preaching it on a daily basis, and I mean that, if the companies that win in this mission vision space are ones where not a day goes by that the leader isn't talking to somebody in that company about mission and vision, where he's, he is the evangelist and it just oozes out of every pore. If you're not doing that for your employees... If you're not doing that for your team members, then you're not giving them a reason to be candid. There may be these episodic moments, but on a day-to-day basis, you haven't given them anything that they can build a sense of urgency around. So that's a challenge. That's a huge challenge. And it's, it's one of those things that you know we started by talking about something very, very practical and we now transition to kind of the the more meta stuff the the back to the basics but even it, on this podcast I'll make the point that, and this is the same point that I try to make with my clients the companies that we work with that aspire to this greatness you know when you talk about mission and vision it it has this airy fairy feel to it and people go ah you know yeah yeah but how's that going to help me hit my goals How's that going to help me grow this company to, to a $10 million company? Well, the point of today's conversation is everybody gets that if we're going to get to that $10 million level, we have to have more candid conversations. And I talk to business owners and they go, yeah, that's exactly what we want. We want people to be more candid because we don't have time for this kind of stuff. And we need the best ideas on the table. And the only way that's going to happen is if people get real with each other. And my point through this whole thing today it's it's taken us 46 minutes to get there is that listen that airy fairy stuff about mission and vision that that you said "Eh, how's that going to help me hit my goals if you can't address that and you're not willing to address that then you're not giving your people anything to feel a sense of urgency about and if they don't feel that sense of urgency any hope you had for building a, a organization a culture around candid interactions with one another it's unrealistic you have to do the work as the business owner to give them something to believe in to give them something to be urgent about and then you might be surprised just how quickly those candid conversations start to happen so i really appreciate uh sticking in there with us over the last three weeks when we haven't been posting a lot of stuff uh this is one of the joys of my week is to be able to sit down and talk about these things with you. If you wanted to uh, give feedback on the show, if you want to go to the show notes, I'll put some links to things that I mentioned in the course of the show up. You can go to axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 013. I'm Joey Brandon, your host, and I will see you next week.